this kind of connection where people see and and really feel seen by others, um, but seen in all by being authentic and seen and still accepted, and mm. th that's love in my in, in my books, and also okay. that that's what happens. And across all the differences, because understanding doesn't mean that we're all on the same page and we have the same experience. Hello, and thank you so much for joining us for this episode of The High Five. This is actually our first episode of our second season, and we're so excited to share it with you all. I'm Olivia Hewitt, and I'll be hosting today's episode. And in today's show, we're hosting Asha Shrikantaya and Werner Zorman, who co-teach a class called Interpersonal Dynamics here at The Hive. In our conversation, Asha and Werner bring up a ton of really interesting insights. From the power of being honest about how other people make us feel, even if it's scary to vocalize it at first, all the way to how powerful it can be to create space and allow for there to be silence and how this can help meaning to develop in a group over time. We're super excited about this conversation and can't wait for y'all to hear. So enjoy. Well, then here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. We are live. Oh, and and okay. you're going to edit it, right? Yeah, 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 us, yeah, yeah. Make us sound good. I would love just for each of you to share with listeners who might not know you a little bit about who you are. That's a big question. Yeah. Who am I? <laughs> I know, I know. It can be very simple. Right. I'll start with the name. Mm -hmm. so I'm Werner Zorman. And... I'm a professor at Harvey Mudd College, mm -hmm. so I teach leadership there, mm -hmm. which is unusual, right? Because it's a STEM college and yeah. I'm pretty much the only one teaching leadership officially as a professor there. My name is Asha Shrikantaya, and I am a professor here at The Hive. Um, also at Harvey Mudd, so I have a, a seat in both houses. Um, I'm new to the world of being a professor. I'm new to the world of academia. I spent the last many years working um, in various forms of industry. And mm. so I am excited to be here and to be on this podcast with you, Olivia. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you both. That's awesome. So my first question is very simple, but um, for myself and also for the folks who are listening, I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about the class that you teach together, Interpersonal Dynamics, and how you two came to be teaching that together, co-teaching that. Yeah. Asha's going to start now. <laughs> Great. Well, I'm teaching Interpersonal Dynamics because Werner uh, aggressively cornered me during a faculty lunch and said, Asha, I really want you to teach this class with me. And I said, okay, it sounds pretty interesting, so let's go. Um, no, so, so backing up. Aggressively cornered during a lunch. I should say aggressively and affectionately, mm. but not in a weird and creepy way. I'm just, now I'm wordsmithing, but, um, <laughs> no, there was a lot of, there was just a lot of energy of, um, potential future collaboration that came from Werner thrown at me and I, how can you resist something like that? It was, it yeah. was really fun. Absolutely. Um, what is interpersonal dynamics? So interpersonal dynamics is a class that really focuses in on enabling people to get a better understanding of um, how they are feeling at any mm. given moment 
um, based on what the people around them are doing or saying and the risks that they personally are taking. And um, more than that, it also gives people an opportunity to explore the impact that mm. they have on others and that others have on them. And I would say that the whole reason for being in the class is because I think a lot of us do tend to move through the world um, in these kind of codified behaviors that we've created as social norms where we don't necessarily express authentically um, what it is that we're feeling and the impact that we are having on one another. And, and in a lot of instances, I think we don't even necessarily give ourselves the permission to acknowledge those feelings internally either mm. and to really name them to ourselves, let alone talk about them with others. And so the whole idea of interpersonal dynamics is that the, the class is structured to create this environment of safety in which people can explore, experiment, play with um, getting better at understanding their feelings, naming their feelings, and um, articulating the relationships and emotions that people have on one another that are mm. all kind of sharing that physical space together. Wow, that was a beautiful explanation. Thank you. That's super interesting. And I think something that struck me in your explanation was how much of it is sort of centering around an understanding of yourself in relation to others and not necessarily just externally facing, but both facing externally and internally. Um, and you mentioned this sort of process of figuring out how to sort of name those feelings. And I'm wondering how you go about that in the class or how you sort of break that down. That sounds like it would be a very complicated process. Yeah. Either of you. Do you want to start off on this one? Yeah, yeah. It's not a class, it's a whole semester. Yeah. So where the students are at the end of the semester is very different mm. compared to where they were in the beginning. And it starts off usually with them engaging pretty cautiously and, you know, guarded and um, having lots of filters mm. um, before they decide what to say. Everybody's being nice, really nice. Mm -hmm. Not in a good way, though. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, in order to self-protect, right? Because imagine there's a group of people, 15 students in our case, they get together. Most of them have never seen each other before. And they know about the class quite a bit because, because most of them are in the class because somebody told them you should take the class. Mm -hmm. So they have some idea what it is, but here they are, sit in a circle and start introducing each other and everybody really holding back to share, for instance, first impressions mm. right, about each other. And slowly but surely, we help them also with some support and interventions mm. to share more about the impact somebody else has, has on them. Mm. And I think that's the process and it takes a while. And I also want to point out that we look at l different levels of system. Mm. I'm, you know, my background is computer science and I'm, I'm in the engineering department. So I do like um, some technical language, even if it comes to people. And uh, I want to talk about social systems. You know, a social system is extremely complex. And the group of 15 people in our class, it's a social system, right? Mm. And at any given time, 
we as facilitators um, focus on different levels of system, right? The one is, of course, the individual. So each of the 15 students, you know, they might um, show that they are emotionally distressed. So we really have to look out what's going on with everybody, right? Mm -hmm. But then, the, and then there's the interpersonal level, right? If, for instance, two people start talking with each other. Mm. And the deeper we go into the semester, the more likely they're going to have conflicts and they're going to have really difficult conversations. So there's the interpersonal level. And then, of course, there's the group level, right? Where the whole group also starts to develop. Right. For instance, to create uh, a higher level of psycho psychological safety, which helps people to be more vulnerable, mm -hmm. to speak more what they really believe in the moment, what the impact really is. And I have to say again, it's a journey. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a development. In the beginning, very cautious, and as we go, uh, they become more fierce and more open and more vulnerable and more authentic, I would say. Yeah. Obviously, it does end with a capstone experience where we take them off campus uh, for a whole weekend. Wow. Where, as you could imagine, everything intensifies. Yeah. But because by then <coughs> they have a good solid level of trust and mm. being connected with each other and they can go then they can go really even deeper. Yeah. And talk about the really difficult mm. topics. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a beautiful description as well of sort of this journey and you're not jumping into the deep end right away. It's sort of easing into that. And I think both of you touched on this topic of safety and psychological safety and creating an environment where it feels safe to explore and experiment and play and do things that might feel very different from what you're doing in other classes. Like maybe in your other classes, you're not being called to verbalize how you're feeling or how others are making you feel. And I'm curious in those very beginning stages of the journey where you're not diving into the deep end right away, how, what strategies you use to create an environment that feels safe for folks to begin to sort of crawl out of that um, or into that practice, I guess. Yeah, so I think there are a couple of things. There's the stuff that happens in the room and there's the stuff that happens outside of the room. Mm -hmm. So the stuff that happens in the room is actually very non-invasive mm -hmm. and um, perhaps another word would be spacious. Mm. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is I think in a lot of classroom settings, students walk in and expect to sit down and listen to a professor, an instructor, a teacher of some sort. In this classroom setting, students walk in and they hear from Werner and I for, I don't know, a total of 15 or so minutes at the <laughs> beginning. And then we shut up and move out of the way. Hmm. And the rest of what is a three hour long class, not only on day one, but then on week two, on week three, on week four, for the majority of the time, the time is theirs to shape. Hmm. And so, um, you know, there's that quote, nature loves a vacuum, hmm. which is to say that I think when you do just create space and enable silence, what fills that silence and what fills that space will over time develop meaning. And the hmm. people who are in that group will prescribe meaning to it and will collectively and collaboratively create that meaning. And so... I think that that's, that's a big part of what's happening in the class. I, I would like oh, to add ahead. one thing about in the yeah. class. Just 
that our listeners can envision it, we do sit in a circle. Mm. There are no desks or anything. Yeah, and for instance, funny. one of, of, because I have two sections of interpersonal mm. dynamics, one of the sections they have decided, because we're doing it in a hive here, mm. to dim the lights, mm. to use different chairs, you know, to create a different atmosphere. But we didn't tell them to do that. Mm. As Asha said, we are, we are there, we are supportive. We make every now and then what we call interventions to help them to make contact, to connect, to praise, of course, also when they are vulnerable. Mm. And um, other than that, you know, we are, as you, as you said, we are staying out of the way. But we all do sit in a circle, and usually Asha and myself, we are sitting on the opposite sides. So for the reason that we really see every student, right? Because I wouldn't be able to see the student right and left to me really well. Mm. But then, of course, Asha sees them and the yeah. other way around. Yeah. So that's the space you described. That's the space. Yeah, and then outside of that space, what's happening, um, there are a couple of important things that are happening. One is that we do require everybody in the class to reflect on what happened during the class and more importantly, how they felt, what mm. was the impact on them. And they have to actually submit those written reflections and we read each and every one of those written reflections mm. and we write back to each and every single mm. student every week. So they are getting one-on-one right. -on -one interaction with us weekly, but through the written word, through essentially letters. Wow. Um, and then in addition to that, they're also reading what Werner calls theory. So Werner has selected a whole variety of different um, publications, articles, and it, it kind of starts at the beginning of the semester more about what is this thing called um, the training group in interpersonal dynamics or, or the T group as mm -hmm. it's um, used in shorthand. And, you know, where did it come from and what are some experiences that people have had with it? So the students do have some frame of reference, at least from what they're reading on the page. Um, but then the readings start to, I think, get a little bit more into topics of um, vulnerability and of psychological safety and of equity and of inequity. And so the readings themselves, I think, also prime the people who then enter that space um, with theoretical information that can just support them wanting to experiment mm. with different behaviors and see what happens and monitor the impact that they have on others and that others have on them just because it's all kind of reinforcing um, between the things that they're writing and reflecting, the things that they're reading, and then what they're actually experiencing in the room, in the space. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, I wanted to add yeah. that I really see students enjoying the um, lack of structure in mm. how they have to write. Mm. Like, for instance, for the reflection, we tell them you have experienced you not know, three hours together with 14 other of your classmates. Write about it, you know, write about a couple of situations where you reacted strongly emotionally, for instance, mm. and then in your own style. So there is no, you know, right way of writing. And for that, we have writing classes, but not in our class. Yeah. And they really enjoy it very much. And for the theory, for the for the readings, we also ask them to write something about it. But we are not testing comprehension. It's more what stands out. What what can you connect to? Mm. 
how you want to be showing up differently, for instance, in the mm-hmm. tea group next week, right? So it's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of freedom and there's a lot of lack of structure, which as a matter of fact, they really start enjoying more and more as they go through the semester. Yeah. Because some of the students, they're a little bit surprised and almost maybe not ter- ter- terrified, but mm. you know, they are struggling at first. Where's the structure? You know, tell me how I get an A. What do I have mm-hmm. to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But then other students, I think, thrive in that. So it's a mixed bag. Very true. Yeah, that's very interesting. I think in human-centered design, obviously, I think it has more structure, perhaps, but it is in some ways less structured. And when I was TAing with Fred, we experienced a lot of the same thing of students being like, no, I need to know all the details and like feeling control of the structure and how am I going to get a good grade similar. And then maybe as time goes on, that becomes less anxiety producing and more sort of freeing and exciting to have that space to play. But that makes sense. What you're saying, it's a very intentional combination of in-class activities and outside-of-class activities and making sure that that deeper reflection, there's space for that and time for that, and it's not necessarily like right in the moment on the spot, if I'm interpreting correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm curious what, and I'm still sort of beginning to envision what this looks like, and I understand this might be sort of a silly question since we just talked about how it's not very structured, but I'm curious what uh, like typical class or like an example of an activity that might happen um, would be like, or is it completely in the hands of the students? Um, but yeah, what what might I experience if I were to be in the class for a day? Yeah, intentionally for the first few weeks, there is no structured mm-hmm. activity. Yeah. And there might be, as we go on, that we that we introduce uh, what we call structural intervention, mm-hmm. that we do a little activity and tell them, you know, this is what you have in mind and go with it. But for the first few uh, weeks, the intention really is to not create dependency. Mm. So, and, uh, of course, there's great struggle, and not only with individual students, but with the whole group. What do we have to talk about? What topic do we have to pick in order to achieve our goals? And then what are our goals? You know, mm-hmm. even that is not clear. We do help them in week three, I think. Uh, we're asking them to define a couple of learning goals for each of mm-hmm. them. And that doesn't have to be for the whole semester, you know, this huge goal. But it could be just two goals which you're trying to achieve within mm-hmm. the next couple of weeks. And then we also put them together in learning partner triads. Mm-hmm where they meet for the first 20 minutes before we move them into the T-group. But mm-hmm. in the T-group, for the first few weeks, you know, for two and a half hours or so, there's no topic which yeah. we introduce. There's very little guidance. Uh, just intervene every now and then to help them to make contact mm. and understand better and connect. Yeah, and when we say intervene, I think interventions mean really different things in different contexts (laughs) as well. So um, in the first few classes, like Werner is describing, what an intervention might look like from Mm -hmm. one of us as facilitators could literally be as simple as in one instance with one student, we might say, how do you feel now that you just said what you Mm. said? Mm -hmm. And that really might be enough for that one student to start talking about his or her feelings and maybe other students will chime in with their impressions or their reactions Mm -hmm. or their feelings. 
And that would be the only thing we might have said mm. through the entirety of a three-hour session. So yeah. intervention, I think we tend to think about it as a word that means something very large and um, disruptive. But the way that it's actually used in the context of this class is quite often very subtle and uh, very small, mm. but can still have an effect and an impact. So true. Immediately when you gave an example, had another example coming up, what you see often is, even in the first class, you know, some students starting with being more vulnerable and saying something which is scary to say, you know, mm -hmm. and then they do. And what you usually get is a few others, or maybe even many others saying, oh, I appreciate you sharing, mm. okay? Uh, I, I think that's not contact. Um, so then there could be an intervention from us Again, intervention, a little one saying, so what makes you say that? Or mm. um, uh, what do you appreciate about what X has just shared, right? Mm. So helping them, when I say making contact, to really, it, it is related to empathy, to really connecting. Because all too often we are using the same words and have a very different understanding. Mm. Or, for instance, when the person said, I appreciate it, maybe the person who shared has no idea what it means, you know? Of course, I know now you appreciate it, but what exactly did you appreciate mm -hmm. about it? Mm -hmm. So those are the, the small interventions which are also then well aligned with the theory, because also in the in the readings which you give them, that's pointed out again and again. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I think that resonates with me of having certain things that I feel I say a lot and being asked to rephrase something that feels very comfortable to say like, oh, I really appreciate that, putting that into new words would feel hard at first, but ultimately lead to really saying something and connecting with someone instead of just sort of briefly responding. That's really interesting, that like language aspect of it too, like find new words to express that or more specific words too. Um, I'm curious if there was a time in class where things went perhaps like in an unexpected direction or surprised you the way that things turned out, if there's an example that comes to mind. Well, I'll say that so far this semester, um, there was one evening where, or one class session, where um, everybody did have a pretty extended conversation about the lighting in the classroom that we were in. Mm -hmm. And was the lighting good? Or not good and what <laughs> defines good or not good and does the light create a vibe and does the light breed um, comfort and does the light enable people to see what they need to see mm. and are we thinking about good in terms of inclusivity are we thinking about good in terms of feeling and vibe like what are all these dimensions so there's a pretty long conversation that went on for quite a long time about yeah. the lights but then what was really interesting and unexpected that came out of that is two things the first is in a lot of ways it didn't really matter they could have been talking about the lights they could have been talking about the floor they could have been talking about literally anything mm -hmm. what was really meaningful was it immediately started to go towards, well, hey, wait a minute, like the way that you just said that 
impacts me in this way or I, I I felt hesitant to speak up when you said what you said because of XYZ mm. and suddenly we're having a conversation about the direct impact that students were having on one another that was kind of spurred by the lights right so that was kind of unexpected thing number one and then unexpected thing number two is that about an hour and a half later in the context of that same class, uh, the lights came up once again. And this time somebody said, you know what, let's just try to switch it up and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And everybody got up and everybody tried to adjust the lighting. And, you know, we're in the hive where we have all of these lights that can be moved around. Yeah. and. Everybody was running around in the hive and grabbing lights and then came back together and plugged them in. And then they were very collaboratively saying, okay, does this work for us? Does this not work for us? What works about it? What doesn't work about it? Mm. And there was just this sudden, very spontaneous element of collaboration and even joy Mm. that came out of that very spontaneous, like, let's just run around and try something. Yeah. And then they found themselves once again talking about what had just happened. Mm-hmm. And the meaning that they got from the debrief of sort of conversation one about the lights versus then conversation and trial or prototyping, as we would call it, in human-centered design, mm-hmm. and the debrief that followed that, the tones of those two debriefs could not have been more different. Mm. And it was not an intervention that we imposed. We didn't force them to prototype. We didn't even actually suggest that they prototype. They suggested it amongst themselves. And it was really interesting to see how different um, the whole energy was from one Mm. to the other. Yeah. It's a really good example for going back to the different levels. The group was different, Mm. Uh, even transformed, right? Uh, doesn't mean that they're never going to go back to a similar state like state one where they were very rigid and and guarded and many people didn't uh, dare to speak up you know, that was mm. the first uh, stage and yeah. then just the same the same tea group but maybe two hours later to be at ease as you said you mm. walked around there was a collaborative mindset but also trust in order mm. just going to try it out and not going to hurt each other because you're just being ourselves and trying out. Mm -hmm. So the whole group climate was really already different. Mm. That's really interesting. I'm curious if from your perspectives, the second conversation was different because the first one had already been had or because someone dared to jump in there and say, let's just try it. Or if maybe it was a combination of the two. I think it was a combination of the two. It was. And you also pointed out that if you did talk about uh, okay, I'm going to say it, but I'm a little bit afraid uh, and mm. anxious to say it. You know, this whole process of mm-hmm. small inter next level interpersonal interactions. Not everybody spoke to everybody, but that helped the whole group mm. to see, oh, it's more safe here. And all. Yeah. 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 I think that that first conversation about the lights, the first debrief created this environment in which they suddenly were being honest with one another. They were not being honest when they were advocating Mm. for or advocating Mm. against how the lights should be. Mm. But then they got to this debrief moment where then a few students were actually being honest about Mm. how they made one another feel in that moment. Mm -hmm. 
So then when they came back around to it a couple of hours later, first they they just tried it. Somebody suggested, let's try it. So then there was like a bit of physical body movement, a bit of prototyping. So the whole like energy shift was definitely there, but it was an energy shift that was built upon this foundation of a higher level of honesty that had been seated two hours prior. So it was just mm-hmm. like, like Werner said, it's a journey over the course of the semester, yes, but it's also a journey in every single three-hour session we have right. together. It really is. I don't want to add, sometimes it's painful watching. Mm. Yeah. Know, because we are not intervening. So, But do you see the difference if we would have in a first conversation intervened quicker and we could have helped them in order to be more productive and effective and everything. But that's very different mm. from not, not intervening, letting them do the thing, have the debrief, learn as a group, Mm. and then be different, you know, just two hours later. Yeah, that's really interesting. That makes me think about um, a reading that we did in the fall, Asha, about teaching. And there was a quote in this that said that sometimes teaching is the biggest, um, like, oh, what was it? It was like teaching can stand in the way of learning, essentially. Mm. And I'm really curious about how you balance that. I mean, I think... It's not even so much curiosity as just it's really interesting to hear you speak about how in many cases the best way for you to facilitate learning is to withhold teaching in the traditional sense and allow for experiencing of it instead of saying, oh, well, you should do this about the lights or you should tell them how you really feel about the lights or Mm -hmm. intervening, allowing for there to be that process for them is, is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, what what got evoked in me is, and I'm, I'm almost tearing up, um, is I really have a deep, deep belief in self-actualization mm. of individuals and groups. Mm. And in, in conventional education systems, it's just not, you know, the students are not helped to self-actualize, to yeah. bring their full selves with their talents and their, their values and everything they are, everybody the whole selves to to the group work, right? And I think that's what we what we allow and facilitate. And from a, from a teacher or educator or facilitator perspective, it's so much more simple mm-hmm. in a way. Because I don't have to have all the structures and all the answers and all the knowledge and all the wisdom. It's in them. Mm. And we just have to help them and facilitate that they allow themselves to really show fully to each other. Mm. And it takes a while. I mean, we are four weeks in and they are already proud and, and think, oh, wow, we are so different. And that's true. And I know how much more different they're going to be, you know, by the end of the semester when they uh, have to have the weekend experience. Yeah, absolutely. It's more of a practice than it is a class in the more classical sense mm. of class. Yeah. And I think what we are trying to do is to breed a higher degree of self-awareness mm-hmm. because you can ultimately, at the end of the day, only really know and understand your perspective and only really know and understand and control the way that you show up or don't show up in any given situation. Mm. Um, but you can work harder than average Mm -hmm. to figure out how that is impacting other people Mm -hmm. you can take the risk to ask you can take the Mm -hmm. risk 
to share yourself more authentically. And these are all elements of practice. It's kind of like if you practice yoga on a regular basis, you will become more aware of varied parts of your body because mm-hmm. you're activating them right. on a regular basis. And I think the same is true for this class. If you practice knowing and understanding what's happening within you and knowing and understanding the impact that others are having on you and you are having on others, it does become something that you just cannot help but move through the world with a higher degree of awareness around. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it has a huge impact on m- many, if not most, students. Um, I teach this class since 2017, mm. so every every semester either one or two sessions. Yeah. So more than 180 or 200 students went through it. And I do hear from, from many about it, how it has changed, not only how they feel more connected and connect across differences. This is one of our student outcomes, the objectives of the class to connect across difference. And this kind of connection where people see and and really feel seen by others, um, but seen in all by being authentic and seen and still accepted. And mm. that's love in my in, in my books. And also mm-hmm. that that's what happens. And across all the differences, because understanding doesn't mean that we're all on the same page and we have the same experience. I mean, it's just beautiful to be able to be seen and see. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what's really happening when we talk about connection. It's like you're showing me the full self, not only, you know, how you look good and this and that, but also, and here's a flaw of mine, or you know, here's an experience I had which really shaped me, but it was really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And and then I see you more, you know, and then I'm more willing to show myself. It's addictive you yeah. know, to connect in that way. And then many, if not most or all, do apply it in outside. You know, I, mm-hmm. I've heard stories about I lived with that person for three years in a dorm. And last night we had a whole night conversation because I was starting to be vulnerable and say things which I never dared to say to mm. that person. I, I know so well for the last three years, but now I did. And that really helped them, the other person to also you know, be more real. Yeah, so it's happening a lot. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear you describe it as sort of like an ebb and flow and mm-hmm. and giving and receiving and how that sort of allows for this deepening of your understanding of someone else as well as yourself kind of simultaneously I think is really beautiful it's not stagnant like it is in motion as you share like that will bring up something in me and then allow me to share in a different way too mm-hmm. um, and I think there's sort of going back to the practice analogy I think mm-hmm. There are, it, it is, it is kind of like in yoga because, you know, I can practice yoga every day and some days my balance will be really, really good and other days my balance will just be off. Mm. Like I just, I just am not able to do that same pose or posture in the same way. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is kind of true here as well, which is to say that like some days If you're trying to just breed this higher degree of awareness for yourself, empathy for yourself and empathy for others and awareness of others, like there will be moments, days, interactions Mm -hmm. where you really nail it. And then there will be other moments or days or interactions where 
you just don't. Like, mm-hmm. you miss each other or you miss yourself in that moment and you just can't quite tap in. And I, I think that that's where um, this idea that it's not a class where you suddenly learn everything you need to know and then you know it for life. It's right. like you will lose it if you don't continue to actively choose to try and be intentional about really keying in to your own vulnerability and really making the space for others' vulnerability and being, you know, being an active participant in those types of conversations and relationships. And you might also decide that, like, you don't have the space or bandwidth or interest to do that with everybody. Mm -hmm. You may work with 50 people on a team and maybe you have this type of relationship with five of them and that's really meaningful, but maybe you don't need that depth of relationship with all 50. You know, I think Mm -hmm. that there are, there is an ebb and flow in a lot of different levels with, I think, this type of work. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That definitely makes sense. And I think that's such like a freeing way to think about it is like it, if it's a skill that I'm learning, then it's not going to be linear. It's going to have like days where I'm, like you said, like miss others or miss myself and like being gentle with that as it develops, I think is, makes the whole thing less intimidating. Yeah. And it allows, it allows them to be real Yeah, Mm -hmm. because then it could be somebody asking, oh, I want to give you feedback, and then me saying, no, not right now. You know, I, that's not mm. the time when I can receive it. You know, let's do it later. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And a student may be saying, I had a really tough day. I didn't sleep last night. I had all these exams and everything. Not, mm. I'm right now not feeling it. You know, so I just need to sit here and chill and will not talk, will listen. And yeah. all that is possible. You know, you mm-hmm. don't always have to be right at your best. And Yeah. And in some ways, I think setting those boundaries is very vulnerable in and of itself. I think sometimes the most vulnerable I've ever been is saying, I don't want to be vulnerable right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that's really interesting for me to think about is both of you mentioned sort of like defining your terms and having an understanding of like, what does it mean to be vulnerable? And that varies person to person. Like maybe for someone sharing their emotions is actually pretty comfortable, but saying no to talking about something is really scary. Mm -hmm. Um, And the vice versa could be true for someone else. So I'm curious, I think we've used the word vulnerability a lot in this conversation and also words like real um, and honest. And I'm wondering what sort of vulnerability means as a term in this class or to each of you. Well, again, great insights, right, into people's inner state and and working, because they write in reflections. Of course, not everything, but mm. they, they write a lot yeah. for us to share with us, and not everything has been shared in the in the, in the class yet. Because mm-hmm. very often, and of course, our comment, and our encouragement is this would be really awesome for the group to hear mm. once you're ready to share this or part of it. Yeah, and what I hear from most students there's a theme if it comes to vulnerability contributing and sharing something where i don't know what the outcome is Mm. and emotions are always involved you know first of all my emotion of anxiety for instance to share 
but then also my fear that I may hurt you mm -hmm. or that you might have now a very bad um, image of, of, of me just because what I, I said, not right. knowing what the outcome is. So taking this risk, I think that's a pattern throughout most of all reflections when we see students talking about their vulnerability. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That sort of surrendering of control almost mm -hmm. of not knowing what the outcome is. And I think relates to so much of interacting with someone else in general is just that aspect of like trust and surrender to that other person with you. I'm curious if there's something about interpersonal dynamics that still like confuses you or that kind of stumps you something that maybe feels like a challenge right now or maybe something you're just curious about but that doesn't feel like oh yeah naming emotions I've got that down <laughs> or whatever it is yeah well I said this to the class a couple of weeks ago and I, I it's very true for me um, that I did not grow up with a great verbal fluency of my emotional mm -hmm. state. Um, and that's particularly true when my emotions are less than positive mm -hmm. or more negative than positive. Let's just kind of say it that way. Yeah. Um, and I still am and probably always will be on a lifelong journey to to get better at mm. recognizing my emotions, particularly when they're less positive, um, at naming specifically what those emotions are and why I might be feeling that way, mm. and then of having the courage to actually speak that out loud. Mm. And there are certain instances, I think um, what's helped me quite a bit professionally is that I've been able to figure out how to do that and how to kind of move through professional settings mm -hmm. um, in with with a pretty high degree of candor and respect simultaneously. So mm -hmm. um, it's enabled that quality has been enabled me to get things done in the workplace because I've been able to communicate with people and connect with people mm -hmm. and move things forward and actually create change in systems. Um, because I don't say that everything is necessarily great, I right. can still name when things are not great. Now, the strides that I've made in my professional life are not always completely mirrored in my personal life. It mm. is still really, really hard for mm -hmm. me to say the same types of things with my immediate family. Mm. There are certain relatives with whom like, I have not ever really tried to overtly express mm -hmm. um, particularly negative emotions part of that is because I, you know some of those family members are not necessarily people that I see very regularly if I disagree with something that somebody says I'm only seeing them for one lunch every year anyway do I really want to get into it mm -hmm. at this one lunch you know like there are all these kind of things that are going on in the back of your head but right. um I guess it just comes back to that thing that I said earlier about a practice. Like, I don't mm. think that this is something that I have nailed in every aspect of mm -hmm. my life. And I think a big part of it is just reflecting on, like, where do I want to 
improve next and mm-hmm. now and how do I want to improve and what are my learning goals mm-hmm. for myself right now and how can I take the risks to actually make that learning happen for myself and um, I think that that's that is ongoing for me yeah it's an ongoing journey yeah absolutely that totally makes sense and interesting to think about how it feels different in different parts of our lives and that practice like going back to the yoga example, like maybe you do one type of yoga and it feels really intuitive and you really get into the flow and then doing something that's a little bit different is so challenging. Um, but it's coming back to that same practice too. Yeah. That absolutely resonates. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And what I deduct from your answer is you asked about Hmm. my interpersonal dynamics challenges, right? Not about the class. Either way, or something either way. that... Because like, I've answers for both. Therefore, uh, for mine, I definitely, like you, have challenges in my personal life where with some people it's just more difficult. Mm. But altogether, it's lesser that I'm having huge challenges with interpersonal interactions, mm-hmm. like one-on-one with a person. Yeah, I'm greatly influenced by a lack of psychological safety on a group level. For instance, I would work in a group of people, there's a meeting, I would maybe start talking about emotions, and mm. you know how in, I also worked in industry for many, many years, and you know how in most companies it's just not professional to mm. talk about emotions, it has negative consequences and everything, mm-hmm. so I would start off by very carefully trying to do that, and mm-hmm. then it's punished, you know, negative consequences, I think there I really struggle and I am greatly influenced by uh, group level norms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I would uh, quiet down more than I want to because mm-hmm. I want to keep challenging. Because I, yeah. I keep saying also to my uh, faculty uh, colleagues, I don't want our students, I don't want to prepare them only for the current world mm. and the current businesses because they are messed up as it is, most mm-hmm. of them. <laughs> Um, how we interact with each other, not as whole people, always just with the heads and look at us, you know, what we have done if it mm-hmm. comes to wealth gap and uh, how we destroy our planet and everything. So oh, all yeah. that is possible, although it could be possible to do it completely different, but we do it in a very mm-hmm. professional way. So although, you know, um, so what I'm saying to my colleagues is, yeah, they need to be able to be successful in the conventional world and their companies, but even more so, they need to be the leaders who really mm. start creating n- new companies and new environments. Right. That's really what we need. Yeah, absolutely. Which makes me think about what we were saying earlier about defining terms like success. What does success mean? Does it mean success within the company culture that exists or is success being able to change that to something that feels more aligned? Um, I think like one of the cool things about the T group is that there's a really strong encouragement of people to check their assumptions Mm -hmm. with others in the room. And I think one of the things that we don't really talk about in human-centered design is that we carry around just as many assumptions about how other people think about us. Yeah as we do carry around assumptions about anything else that we might assume in the world, right? And 
we've already, even in the last four weeks, heard from certain students who, you know, express things like, oh, I have seen this person move through class for the past four weeks and I'm really struck by how confident they mm. always are. And I shared with them that I would like to work on my own self-doubt because I'm not sure how I'm landing with other people and I really want to learn from them because they're so confident. But then they tell me that they're also working on the same mm. thing and they're also filled with certain degrees of self-doubt and they're also not as confident as I always thought they were. Mm -hmm. And this T-group style setting is kind of created so that you can literally ask, mm. what kind of impact am I having on you? How do you perceive me? Mm -hmm. I just said this thing. Here's how I felt about saying it. How did you feel when I said it to mm -hmm. you or said it around you? Mm -hmm. And then you, Olivia, have the chance to tell me in your own words and from your own perspective mm -hmm. what just happened. So it's a real way to sort of check the story that is in our own heads, which is so much of what we're trying to do as designers, too. We're trying yeah. to really empathize with and make sense of what people might be feeling and really uncover those latent needs that are not necessarily overtly expressed. Mm -hmm. And then there's a whole process of, of testing those assumptions and checking in with those people once again. And, and I think this class is sort of like a, a microcosm of that specific behavior mm -hmm. of, um, of testing assumptions. Yeah. That's such an interesting connection to design that you just made that I really love. And I think what you said about it's almost like testing the story in mm -hmm. our head. And it also made me think what the example you gave about confidence and observing someone you think is really confident and telling them that you feel that way. I feel like those interactions that we have of being vulnerable with someone in that sense are so often reserved for people that we're already very close with maybe a close partner or a close friend or a family member. And you have those moments of sort of pulling back the curtain and being like, oh, actually, I'm insecure. It happens with such a small group of people where the closeness is already established. And this class giving folks the tools to do that with people that maybe they don't know that well at all adds so much richness to any experience, really, to be able to have that kind of connection with someone that you don't know that well is just mm -hmm. really fascinating yeah yeah definitely for folks that are interested in kind of practicing this or developing this practice on their own is there like a simple way um that they might jump in and and try this with a friend or with themselves um like a simple skill that maybe they could try out to engage with interpersonal dynamics without the class right um, <laughs> it's kind of hard and it's totally okay if yeah, the answer is you need what, a group. what makes it hard is that um i've heard over and over from students mm. say exactly that to try to explain what happens in the class the first reaction is that doesn't sound i want to be there yeah and then they see certain changes throughout the semester yeah from their friend or roommate who, who is in the class and then they want to also sign up right um, 
but it takes a semester, you know, it takes like 35 or 40 hours being mm -hmm. in, in T group because behavior changes are just really difficult. Mm -hmm. So my first reaction was immediately don't try it at home. <laughs> mm -hmm. But of course there's elements and what did came up, uh, what did come up when you asked the question was Brené Brown and her work. Mm. I was literally going to say that. Uh, <laughs> that. That came up because she's doing a great job in, in yeah. describing vulnerability and going into emotions and having had her own journey in you know, the TED Talk, which is one of the top three. Uh, it's funny too. Yeah. She talks about banana muffin or whatever it is. <laughs> um, reading a couple of books from, mm. from her, uh, maybe together with uh, maybe a little reading group. Um, yeah. Could be something where you can do it without a class. It would be great, of course, to have somebody there who mm. is maybe a bit more familiar with that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think I that's what I was going to say is it wouldn't necessarily simulate the tea group style environment, but mm. I do think that reading um, specifically Daring Greatly by Brene Brown, I think mm. is um, it's just a very impactful book. Mm. Um, she has a new book out that I this title of which is escaping me, but it's essentially a it's an encyclopedia of emotions, mm. basically, and she dives into um, all of these different emotions and what distinguishes one from another. And I think that that's a really great tool to kind of develop this emotional, verbal emotional fluency, mm. if that's something that folks are interested in. And then another person that comes to mind is Esther Perel, mm -hmm. who has a couple of really incredible podcasts as well. Um, and I... Again, I like what Werner said, which is to say, like, it's not it's not that you're going to necessarily feel what it feels like to be in a tea group. Mm -hmm. But I do think that there are some real, really skilled people in the world who have written and created really incredible resources to help all of us become more emotionally fluent and mm. to show up more authentically in the relationships that matter. And yeah. so immersing yourself with with those two people really come to mind at the top for me mm. um can only help it's certainly not going to hurt you and it can it can probably actually really greatly help you if you um can really reflect on those readings and process them yeah absolutely this kind of connection where people see and and really feel seen by others um but seen you know, by being authentic and seen and still accepted, and mm. that's love in my in, in my books, and also yeah. that that's what happens. And across all the differences, because understanding doesn't mean that we're all on the same page and we have the same experience, right? Mm. So we just had a great conversation uh, among students um, who are international students and sharing stories with um, students from the US, you know, mm -hmm. and them gaining fantastic insights or oh, never thought about that you know mm. and help that helping them to to connect you know across their differences and because of the yeah. differences because yeah. we still get the humanness from each other or yeah. because of that we get it yeah absolutely thank you both so much thank you i, <laughs> I do want to give you feedback though if please you i would love a, yes all right uh, practicing what, what, yeah. we, what we preach um doing so I was thinking 
why do I feel so engaged and comfortable mm -hmm. and again seen and heard? You are just asking great questions. And what I make again, that's an assumption, and then we mm. would have to go through the work, which we don't have the time now. But my assumption is that you're really getting, you know, mm. what, what we're trying to convey, what interpersonal dynamics is. Yeah. And why I'm assuming that is because of the questions you kept asking, you know, which helped me to stay and even be more engaged. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you do it with everybody. Uh, <laughs> you have definitely done with, uh, well, me at least, I can speak mm. for myself. Yeah. Yeah, Thank I you second that. That was really, really <laughs> lovely interviewing. Like just really great, great questions, great responses, and like light paraphrasing back to us what it is that we were saying. Mm -hmm. And it just felt really engaging the whole time through. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you for offering that feedback. I had a little thought in the back of my head as we were talking is, Oh, I wonder if we can, if I can ask them to interpersonal dynamics this conversation <laughs> right now. But as you say, like, I, I think if we were to do that and do it well, it would take a while. Right. Um, but, but I how really did you feel when I offered you feedback? It felt really great to hear that. And I think it made me feel seen because full transparency, a little bit of vulnerability. I was definitely nervous for this conversation because... I respect both of you and I know that you're coming in with so much knowledge and I sort of feel sort of nervousness in the beginning and feeling that like slip away and really be able to be fully present in the conversation was a gift and I think so yeah it felt like warm to receive that so I appreciate it and I think it was also being so engaged was in part watching the two of you interact with each other and listen and respond to each other. That was like really a beautiful flow too that like pulled me in more too. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Great, that was fun. That was fun. <laughs> Thank you. Was fun. And thanks for being the first guest ah, in our studio. In our live <laughs> studio podcast. Live <laughs> <Our> studio podcast. <laughs> With the lights changing. Thank you for joining us for episode one of our second season of The High Five, where we were joined by Asha Srikantaya and Werner Zorman. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the episode, which you can let us know through our Instagram at hive underscore five C. And if you're interested in checking out the resources that Asha and Werner mentioned in the show, or in learning more about The Hive, you can check out the links in the show notes.